Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I'm joined with Amy Sperling from Compt. And we're going to talk about retaining talent and sustaining employee engagement. But first of all, hello, Amy. Welcome to the Grow CFO Show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Amy, tell me a little bit about you. What role do you have in in Compt at the moment? I am the founder and CEO here. So we've been around about five years. So started the company about five years ago, uh, basically because I was a CFO before this a couple of times, three times uh, to be exact. And I needed a tool that nobody was building and finally got so frustrated. I decided to start a company to build the tool that I needed. Yeah. And the fact that you needed the tool yourself said there was a market need for it. Yeah, exactly. So what, what exactly does Comp do? So Comp manages and designs employee perk stipends. So looking at how you manage employee, the piece of employee compensation that has kind of historically landed in employee perks. So this is where I got really frustrated as a CFO. You know, you have to pay market salary. You know, you need to deal with health insurance and different insurance plans across different borders, of course. Some places it's compulsory, some places it's not. But then that's just kind of table stakes. Everybody does that. How you differentiate and get talent in the market is where everybody went to employee perks. And we can thank Silicon Valley for all the plethora of a thousand things that were hitting companies. You know, things like pet insurance and dog walking and, you know, snacks and like you name it, there was an app for it, right? But as a company, everything you brought in, everything I was bringing in, Maybe 5% of the team would use it. So very low utilization, but super, super expensive. And the CFO in me does not like wasting money. And so I got really frustrated and the team's getting really frustrated because they don't like the things that we're offering. So I was like, look, how do we, how do we solve for that? How do we get to everybody being happy, but also being tax compliant and the HR and finance team being able to build something that can work for them as well to where you don't have this like ever escalating cost structure. And so that's where comps kind of came from and what we built so that we can get that really high employee engagement, but also those other factors around managing a budget, staying tax compliant and supporting everybody. Brilliant. Brilliant. I can see why there was a gap in the market. So five years on, Do you have any competitors, anybody else trying to solve the same problem? There's a few, but they're solving it in very different ways. So we we come at it from a very much a finance perspective. So that's why we built the way we built. So things like, um, you know, we're US-based, so very much IRS tax compliance, so tax authority in the US, but then also managing across borders as well. So we're supporting employees in 60 different countries for, across our customer base now. So managing that tax compliance is kind of key and core to how we manage things, which sends you down a certain product path. So we focus on reimbursements and having things go through payroll so that they're taxed correctly versus some of our competitors who are doing things, you know, they've got marketplaces where it's like, hey, employees, you've got 
20 different wellness companies you can choose from, you know, and so trying to go down the marketplace path or a debit card path, which is the other path that companies could go down. Hey, here's a card you can use to go spend money at different vendors or in different places. There's challenges with all three models. We all kind of approach it differently and solve problems for companies in a different way. Yeah, I suppose over my career, I've seen a mixture of at least two of those models. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I was working for PwC, we had mm-hmm. a number of benefits that you could go for. Um, some of them were salary sacrifice, you know, mm. have this benefit instead of some salary. Some of them were you could you could buy vouchers to right. shop at a particular store, right. but the vouchers you bought would be would cost you ninety percent of the face value. Right. Um, and of course, there's the, the classic UK one, the company provided car. <laughs> right. Yeah. Something we don't have in the US. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a common benefit. Yeah. The company provided car is definitely something you need yeah. to. It's, it's not as common in the UK as it was. And right. It, and it's it's funny now that we're in uh, periods of great inflation. But the, right. the company car originated in the UK in the 1970s government introduced a, a pay freeze mm. and a lot of companies got around the senior management pay freeze by giving them a car right yep you yep. we typically find that we're finding that in the u.s right now we've got a bunch of pay transparency laws yeah. that have been put in place in various states where you have to share you know what the salary ranges are for different roles and what i'm seeing is that companies are being somewhat transparent there's a very big range this role is between 50,000 and 300,000 in salary that's a very very big range even when the ranges are tighter though companies are getting around that transparency by increasing benefits for some and not all and so we're still seeing that benefit kind of creep in some of these places as well where companies really want to add things and avoid that full transparency so similar to the company car we I see that happening in the US right now too yeah, the the place has surprisingly become popular is with mm. electric vehicles in the UK. I, that would make sense. Huge, there are some huge tax breaks on electric yep. vehicles at the moment, so a yep. lot of people are saying, "Well, not sure I want the liability of this car with all these newfangled batteries in myself. Mm-hmm. I'll happily take one as a company vehicle because right. that's my personal risk, and it's right. breaks for the company as well." So yep. that's an interesting one that we're seeing. Um, interesting. That is interesting. So. In terms of of retaining talent, Mm -hmm. is it all about bringing these benefits or is there more to it than that? It's it's definitely, it's really around the personalization piece. So it's not, you know, your employee perks should not be your culture. Your employee perks are not the be all end all. If you have, you know, the company car or the pet insurance or the whatever the thing is, it's not going to solve your employee retention issues because it's only going to impact a certain number of people in the company. And so it's much more around, all right, if you have a good culture, you got to have that. If employees don't feel happy, they're going to leave anyways, no matter what you offer them. Uh, So you have to have a good company culture. You also need to pay competitively. You can't be way under market on salary or there's nothing you're going to do on employee perks to retain folks. But if you solve some of that. Yeah. I've always had the view around paying people competitively that money does not motivate people. That's correct. But if you don't pay them properly, it sure does demotivate them. <laughs> that is, you should sew that on a pillow. That is absolutely accurate. Like it's not more money, which, you know, some companies try and manage the employee perks by just putting a little bit more money on people's paychecks. 
that will never retain employees. And Google actually did a whole study of this, an A-B test on their team. Uh, Laszlo Bach did it when he was, you know, years ago and published about it, where every employee, if you say, hey, do you want employee perks or do you want more cash? Every single employee, myself included, would say, give me more cash. Every single one. But the employees that are retained are not the ones that got a little bit more cash. They're actually the ones that feel like their company is supporting them in a way that is supporting their their personal lives. And so even though we all say more cash is what we want, what ultimately keeps us more attached to a company is when we feel like a psychological connection and support from our companies, because you're not talking about you're not talking about 10, 20, 30,000 dollars here. You're talking about relatively small money and what impact it can have in each bucket. Yeah, things like, oh, I'm getting some subsidized childcare here. I can't right. leave the company. I'll lose that fantastic benefit. That's exactly right. Paying that myself. Exactly. But just bringing in subsidized childcare as a benefit won't actually be the retention tool. It's allowing employees, you know, where we see that it, it you can have the big impact is saying, hey, we support families and here's an amount of money you can use. And for people who want to use that to subsidize childcare, great, they can go and use it for that. For people who don't have children or don't have them of that age or whatever the thing is, they can use that to support aging parents, to support you know something else within their family. So it allows for that personalization. That's where stipends can be very key to personalization instead of trying to pick and choose something for each individual person, which is impossible. It's not possible. Mm. So in sustaining employee engagement, mm-hmm. you know, retaining talent's one thing, sustaining engagement. How do you think we should be going about that? I think it's it's part of the same kind of multivariable puzzle. So if an employee is engaged, they're going to be retained. If they're not engaged, they're not going to be retained. And so it's figuring out part of that Rubik's Cube of, all right, how do we keep employees to where they feel very supported by the company? and feel very attached to what we're doing, our mission, and are kind of feeling connected to the people they work with, how do we do that? And then that will ultimately retain them. Part of what we do at Compt and what we look at is looking at those employee perks in particular as a measure of engagement. So it doesn't measure like how much I feel connected to my company. Nobody can actually measure that. I mean, you can do surveys and whatever, but their viability is questionable as far as a data a data set in my mind. Uh, What we look at is employee engagement with employee perks, because if you're engaging with what your company is offering you and looking at that, as companies know they have to offer something in this bucket to be competitive, it's all right. If they're not engaging, kind of like what you said before, if they're not using it, it's not going to be a retention tool. And so you have to look at how are employees interacting with their benefits? If they're feeling very connected to them, that's a good thing. If they're not connected to them, they're not a tool and you're wasting your money. So I'd go back to your PwC example. They have tons of benefits. How many of them do you think you used? Oh, out of a possible maybe 25 that I could have had, maybe three or four. Mm-hmm. Right. And regularly or maybe once in a while? Some some of them were by the nature of what they were offering were regular things. Yeah, well, that's good. Were once in a while. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's hard to get to that with for most companies. And I'll give you an example. So normal employee perks, we talked about it. Everything you bring in, roughly three to five percent of the employees are going to take advantage. Subsidized childcare, 
you know, food, pet insurance, whatever it is, very small utilization. Because even with a gym membership, what if it's not the gym you go to? What if it's not the one close to your house? What if it's you don't like the gym, whatever the thing is, right? So if you're looking at three to 5% as the normal for each individual thing, that's where marketplaces fall apart, where it's like, okay, how many things do you have to have to reach the entire team? And we actually went and looked at some data that was pretty fascinating because our engagement has been 91% for four straight years. 91% of people on our platform use their employee perks. Off the charts, different from a 5%. So we said, all right, we took one year, we pulled 8,700 people and watched them for a year and said, how many different unique vendors will 8,700 people use in 12 months, which gets you to that 91% utilization? Guess how many different vendors they used? I bet it came down to a relatively small number within the total that were available. But there's there's no limit, right? Because we don't yeah. have a marketplace. So it's up to the employees of what they can use. So that's the that's the freedom and the personalization piece. Yeah. Got any guesses? Hundred. Twenty seven thousand. Twenty seven thousand. Gosh, I was a long way out. So that's eight and a half thousand employees. So roughly three things for each person. Three things for each person with different vendors. Yep. Good grief. That takes some managing. It's impossible. There's no way a company could build that. And even if we had a list of 27,000 vendors, nobody is scrolling through 27,000 vendors to find the three that they want. Never going to happen. Which is where if you're going to get to personalization, you have to approach it differently. If that's your goal, reach everyone be something that matters to people. You have to approach this differently and think about it differently. And then if you're getting that engagement, it is a tool for retention. It is a tool for making sure that your team feels supported. Okay. So give me a practical example of how this works. I'm a, a brand new employee at one of your major clients. What would the offer look like? So the company gets to customize what they want employees to be able to focus on. So some companies say, hey, we want to support wellness, or maybe they want to support working from home and they put in you know, various things into a bundle. So they're creating something that resonates within their own culture. From there, let's take wellness as an example. A company can say, hey, you've got hundred dollars, hundred pounds for this quarter to spend on your wellness. As an employee, you get to say, cool, I've got a wellness stipend. What do I want? Maybe I want running shoes this quarter. Well, okay, last quarter I got want running shoes. I don't need running shoes again next quarter. Maybe next quarter it's, you know, you want a fitness tracker. Maybe it's a healthy meal delivery system. Maybe it's going to the gym because now it's winter and you don't want to run outside. It allows you as the employee to use those funds as it matters to you. Still has to relate to wellness, but unlimited vendors, you can go where you want. You can spend in the way that you want to manage your own wellness because you're an adult. You should be able to manage your wellness. Your company shouldn't say, hey, here's how you're going to get fit and well. Oh, quite. Totally agree. Right. But to make that work, Amy, won't the company then have to have a culture and a set of values that go along with those, those wellness benefits? Absolutely. I mean, if your your company culture is of smoke cigarettes and drink all day, every day in the office, you're probably not going to see a lot of running shoes in the wellness category, but they're probably not going to choose a wellness category to begin with. What we find is that most companies have 
some sort of a culture where they want to support people's wellness is the most commonly used category. And so it's really then empowering employees to be adults, to be able to manage their own wellness. And what we don't haven't found is that employees are like, huh, I've got a hundred dollars. Maybe I will buy cigarettes or alcohol instead of using it for wellness. Nobody does that. Nobody yeah. wants to, to do something that they, they have unlimited personalization Everybody can do something to make themselves a little bit better, a little bit well, buy vitamins, you know, do something like get some yoga, do some acupuncture, like everybody can find something that matters to them. And so you find that employees tend to be more likely to utilize it in a way that the company is probably going to be pretty excited about and not try and do the fringe like, hey, I bought a bottle of champagne instead of anything for my actual wellness. Yeah. So then how does the system work? You've offered, say, $100 in a month to spend on more or less what you like. Do you then take the the invoice that you get for that and submit it to, to the system so it gets reimbursed? That's exactly right. So you take a picture of the receipt. It can be on your credit card, you know, something that proved that you spent some money. And then you get reimbursed through payroll. Some of those things are taxable. Some are not. We manage all of that and have automated all of that. So all that tax compliance is built in because not every employee perk is taxable, mm-hmm. but some are and a lot are. And so yeah. managing that flow so that the company's not having to figure out, hey, should we tax this? Should we not? It all flows through payroll seamlessly yeah. to make it easy for employees and employers. Yeah. So if you've got clients in across 60 different countries, Mm-hmm. Um, that's at least 60 different tax regimes. And thinking about the United States, you've got 50 states, and I know there are yep. subtle differences between every one of those states. Yep. That's a lot of rules you've got to comply with. How on earth do you stay abreast with that? So two pieces. One, it's very much a U.S. tax compliant piece of software. So it's compliant with U.S. tax law. When you start crossing borders, what we do is we keep companies conservative. So everything is assumed taxable when you cross a border. But if a company tells us, hey, in this country, tax this thing, don't tax that. In this other country, do this other thing. We have the ability to adjust that. But we are not global tax experts. Honestly, there isn't a single accounting firm in the world that is a global tax expert. So we certainly, like our software would be astronomically expensive if we had to do that. We work with the customers that have employees in those countries. They have already vetted this, you know, for their team because they're already doing these. It's just a different delivery mechanism and we can manage it that way so that they stay on the conservative side of things. Yeah, but I, I'm guessing that say you've you've got a client who have employees in the UK, your right. system therefore will have to build in all of the taxes on salaries rules for the UK. Well, the taxes on salaries rules are already being built into the payroll system. Yes. So that it because it all feeds through payroll, that's how we make sure that we're staying. We're not managing payroll. We are not a okay. payroll company. So payroll so is we, not included in comp. Comp is correct to the payroll. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Right. So we work with all the the major payroll providers, um, and so making sure that that compliance is built in. Got you. Got you. Yeah. So, Amy, I suppose the question that I've got, and we talked about. Pay is definitely mm-hmm. not a motivator. Mm-hmm. If you can set up a benefit system that is, is very much personalized, very much aligned to a company culture, I can see that that will motivate. Mm-hmm. 
but isn't a large amount of motivation a bit broader than that? Isn't it about developing people? Isn't it about stretching people to their potential? Absolutely. Yeah. This is not a substitute for that. Absolutely agree with that. If employees don't feel that they are supported from a you know, personal development, career development perspective, if they feel like they're in a dead-end job, if they feel like their company culture is not great, if they feel like the company isn't going the right direction, there is nothing you're going to put in as an employee perk solution that is going to salvage that. Absolutely. We're just not solving that problem. We're solving a different piece of the puzzle for companies. But I would say you need to get that stuff on track for sure. Where we do see companies work with our platform on that personal and professional development is running their professional development through our platform. So a lot of companies have these professional development money that they've allocated for team members. The challenge is that it's kind of sitting out there. Nobody really knows what they have. It's usually not very managed. And so it's, you know, we've got this, but employees don't know how to be able to take advantage of it. So with this, you know, it gives employees their budget to be able to use towards professional development and gives them the ability to then work with their manager to say, all right, I've got a thousand dollars this year. Are you going to use it for books to up-level on a certain skill? Are you going to take a seminar? Are you going to take an online class? So it gives that ability for the employee to work with their manager to actually know what their budget is and use that. And so we see much higher utilization of those budgets by employees than you do if you just you know, kind of have it out there of like, hey, we support professional development. Hmm. That sounds like a really interesting way of handling that. And I'm guessing because that's coming out the learning development budget. Correct. Most of that won't be taxable on the individual. That's correct. That is one of those non-taxable categories pretty much everywhere. And we see it gets really interesting because a lot of companies for a long time defaulted at least in the US, to tuition reimbursement. That was their professional development. Hey, here's if you're approved, you get a big chunk of money to go get your next degree. Well, what you find is that one, it is a big chunk of money, but very, very few people are approved for it. And a lot of people don't need another degree. And so what companies are finding is even more meaningful, smaller budgets can be much smaller, can be a couple hundred dollars a year, but then it's more accessible to everyone. Then it's not, do I need to go take another college class? It's much more of, hey, I want to read this book about you know this new management technique because I want to kind of move myself along the path of being a better manager. Or I want to take this online class, which a lot of times those are a lot cheaper, you know, more seminar based, or you know, it just makes it a lot more accessible to where people are making steps in their career without having to be like, oh my gosh, when am I going to find time to go get my graduate degree? Like It just changes the game and makes professional development much more accessible across an entire team. Yeah. And we're doing something similar in Grow CFO. We're partnering with a, another very interesting startup like yourselves. It's a company called Learnably. Now, Learnably allow companies to buy vouchers effectively for training and then learnably go out and fill their catalog with what they consider the best of the market from all over the place so Mm. you'll be able to go into the the learnably platform you if you're in the category of finance you'll see grow cfo's team training courses finance team training courses and we they're normally part of grow cfo premium membership but we price them also at well, £100 sterling is Learnably as a UK company. Right. Now, right. you will have your Learnably allowance. So you go into Learnably. Yes, 
you say you want to do this one, Learnably will suddenly give you a code. You then use that code in our purchasing system and it takes the price down from 100 to zero. Yep, which is super cool. Fantastic yeah, it's creating like a marketplace of yeah. all the and different learning options. What it's doing is giving the individual employee all the choice that they want. Right. And I've had that view for a long time. The person that knows their learning and development requirement better than anybody else. Right. It's the person themselves. Exactly. That's exactly right. Like yeah. we need to start. I think we're seeing a shift in the dynamic and it's been happening for a bit now. The the employer-employee relationship. For a long time, it's been very almost parental, company yeah. parent, employee child, which just doesn't make sense, right? You and I are both grown-ups. We are both adults. We both know how to manage our own careers and our wellness and all of the things in our lives. We don't need a company telling us this is the way you need to manage your career, the next class that you have to take to you know, advance your perspective on something or what you need for wellness. It's more about a company supporting and making it a much more um, collaborative relationship where there's something companies need employees, employees need companies. Let's that make that a much more collaborative relationship where companies can support employees and what they want to do for their personal lives, you're going to get so much more from your employees in that scenario. And just a very different, it changes that dynamic in a really positive way is what I'm seeing. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm thinking of that sort of annual development conversation that many mm. would have. And the way I'd want to start, start that is by saying, okay, Amy, if we were sitting down and having this conversation in three years time, what had to happen to you personally and professionally for you to feel happy. That's exactly right. Yep. And, and then working out a plan. Yeah, yeah. And letting the employee drive that. It's not on the yeah. manager to decide what my career path is. That's too much responsibility for a manager. And again, creates that parent-child relationship. Yeah. Like, but I, I'd still possibly, as the manager, want to make some observations and say, of course. hey, have you thought about, or oh, you're playing down your talents there. Don't you realize you're really good at whatever right. yeah right. yeah and that's where it's it, that's where it's collaborative though right because you've got yeah. an external partner who is working with you helping mentor you helping guide you but you still get to decide what you ultimately want in your career somebody may be great at something but they may not want to do it at all as an example exactly. i have a woman on our team who is phenomenal marketer like absolutely fantastic amazing writer so talented at what she did and she came to me one day, she had two 22-year-old girls at the time and was like, look, one, I don't want to work full-time. I need to go to freelance and I just want to write. And also, I don't really want to write about HR tech anymore. I've been doing that for 10 years and I'm kind of over it. I want to go write about something else. So even though she was amazing at this, yeah, I get it too. Like she wanted to go and experience something different. And of course we worked it out with her and she's been like, kind of worked her transition so that she could go find her next thing. But it's one of those things where it's like she was phenomenal at it, but she didn't want to do it because just because you're good at something doesn't mean that's that's got to be your life objective. Yeah, but I, I do think an awful lot of retaining talent is about being able to have those conversations. I agree. It's like, hey, I want to work part time. Right. Well, yeah, okay, fine. Let, let, let's explore that a bit. Let's see how it works out. How could we make that work? That's exactly I, right. I think very definitely. 
employee driven and i i firmly firmly believe that's the way things should be in in learning development environment yes i completely agree with that i think having a one size fits all doesn't make sense you and i are at a very different stage of our careers than somebody who is just coming out of university you know we what well, you and i both likely still want to learn things and do new things and try yeah. new things but we're at a different stage and we need different things than somebody who is, you know, 22 years old and just starting out and learning a lot of things for the first time. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have both have access to learning and development. We just need something very different. It needs to be personalized to where we are in our stage of our career and what our personal goals are. Mm, very definitely. Very, very definitely. And I also think that having that conversation with a member of staff that says, you're not very good at this. Mm. You should get some training around that. Absolutely. <laughs> is a very wrong conversation to have. <laughs> I take a view that says, if you've got a, an aptitude for doing something, you can develop that aptitude. You can learn skills around that aptitude. You can go from being good to being fantastic. Right. If you're no good at something. The best you'll do by through a few training courses and personal development is turn yourself from bad to mediocre. That's exactly right. It's never going to be your star quality, right? Mm. But it may be something that is mission critical for you to not lose your job. So you may need to go from awful to mediocre just to keep your job. And so there could be things that could be helpful training in that. So I'm thinking about things like time management, you know, prioritization. So kind of some of those core skills that are not, whether or not you have an aptitude for numbers versus you're a creative artist probably not going to teach that if somebody has no aptitude for it. But there's some of those other skills or soft skills that could be taught that could help somebody become a better manager or, you know, a more productive employee. Making that stuff available, I think, is very important. And Mm -hmm. I'm very aware at the moment that finance, the finance function is moving at a pace, adopting Mm -hmm. new technology, adopting new systems, new ways of working. And as a result, we could focus all our training budget on training people in those new systems, those new ways of working, and actually forget about the other stuff, the soft skills, the things mm-hmm. that actually take people on to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in, in any retention situation, think about what is it that's going to really benefit your people and show them you're interested in them as individuals rather than just getting this finance transformation across the line? Yep, that's exactly right. You can train people on new systems that will benefit your company. But if that somebody goes to wants to go to a different company that isn't using that system, might be a useful skill, might not. Versus if you train your managers to be better managers, One, you're more likely to retain the people they're working with because it's a better manager situation, but also it's just helping that person's career as well. So I think it it can't just be the hard skills. It also needs to be the soft skills and giving some opportunity for that as well. So we've talked about retaining talent. We've talked about keeping employee engagement up, but the final words on a budget. Why (laughs) is all of this on a budget? Well, I mean, have you read the news? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going around globally, going on globally. Yeah. A lot of companies are trying to figure out, does this, at least in the US, does this look and feel like 2008? Does this look like a recession? What does that mean? How do we 
protect against what happened because nobody wants to go through that again. And so companies are really like finances front and center in a way yep. that they have been yep. it's the you know, supporting. Okay. Yep. yep. And so we're seeing where companies are trying to figure out, all right, if we have to preserve our capital because we need to make sure that we don't know what the storm is, but we can feel that one's coming. How do you do that? And one of the big differences between this and 2008 is that there's relatively low unemployment. In 2008, you had much higher unemployment. You know, if you needed to get people, you could get people. So there was a lot of cutting. It's a CFO then. We cut off, we, we laid off a lot of people. We reduced benefits. We reduced compensation. We did all kinds of things that absolutely will not fly right now because you cannot afford to cut when you also cannot hire when you need to. It is very difficult to hire in this market. And so you've got to walk that balance and then figure out, all right, how do I get the most bang for my buck? How do I do things in the most efficient way possible? Is it tool consolidation? Don't pay for three tools, pay for one that is cheaper than the three together. Is it focusing on uh, your business model to where you can find a way to do, you know, with fewer people, the same amount of business to where you don't have to have as many heads to be able to manage it. So getting rid of some of that manual process, you know, that requires a lot of employee overhead, but you have to figure out, all right, how can we creatively cut and not adversely impact the overall company and cutting salary and benefits is not, it's not on the table, quite frankly. No, also cutting heads is a difficult thing to do. My experience of cutting heads is you lose the wrong people. The people you want to retain right. are generally the ones that are going to find it easiest to get another job. It's and true. therefore, if you offer them a package to leave, they'll be the first ones out the door. Right. So I'm just wondering, Amy, how, how do you think you approach that particular conundrum at the moment if you want to want to reduce the number of people you've got and hang on to the right ones? I think it depends on the size and stage of company. Where I've seen it work and not impact the overall kind of losing the people that you want to keep is when there's a division, a department, a a group that you let go because it's not performing or it's a business model that just doesn't work because that's, yeah. you know, there, it's, it's a little bit insulated from the rest of the business. Trying to do a, hey, 10% cut across the entire team is likely going to go exactly where you're going with this. Like you're going to lose some good talent because in theory, you're already working out of the company, the people that don't perform. That should be happening regardless of what the market yes. is. If it's a good market or a bad market, you should always be doing that. So if you've been doing that, then you're basically looking at a bunch of really good people that now you've got to figure out, all right, how do we do less with more? Like, is it, again, I look at tool consolidation. I look at business model first versus headcount because you've got to figure out, all right, if I cut these this amazing person and load up my really awesome person and now they've got three jobs, they're going to leave. In this market, yeah. they, they can absolutely go and do something else. Give so, them more work to do. They're not going to be quite as awesome anymore because they right. won't put in right. the right amount of effort into the things that they're awesome at. Right. That's exactly right. They're just not going to have the time to do that. Yeah. And so if you were appropriately staffed, just cutting's not going to work. If you had bloated staff, if you were hiring way ahead of the curve and you had a bunch of salespeople or marketers or engineers or whatever the group is that, you know, you assumed your business was going to 4X this year. So you hired way ahead. That's a different conversation. You've got bloat that you can kind of right size to where the business is today. But if you've been running in a measured way, cutting's probably not going to be the answer. Hmm. 
Yeah. So I can certainly see that what you're doing with Compt in the way that you're allocating controlled sums of money that everybody is effectively going to use is a great way of doing the the benefits piece. If you're doing deals with individual companies, putting a big catalog together, you're going to spend a lot of money on doing that, which isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily going to go through to the individual. That's exactly right. I can see exactly where this model fits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Amy, just tell us, just in closing, a little bit about your previous career what got you to to the point that you're you're now ceo and founder of an organization how did you get there sure so i spent about you know i'm 24 years into tech i've been in you know in the tech space and a lot of different types of tech companies for a long time i was a cfo three times i was a coo twice you know, five of my six prior companies went through exits. I took two of them through that process, like pretty standard CFO, COO stuff as you're figuring out how to build, grow, scale companies. All of my companies had, you know, finance and HR rolling up into me. And so in managing that, I could see that frustration. Like, you know, things were different in, you know, 2003 than they were in 2010. You know, employee needs and wants were different. Technology was entirely different. The need for personalization became greater and greater as we have all these apps that are personalized to us, right? So it was really around looking at, you know, a lot, almost all of my teams have been global. And so they've had employees all over the world trying to figure out, all right, how do I fairly compensate people? We're in different countries with different compulsory benefits. And you're looking at parental leave and you're looking at health insurance and looking at all these things, but wanting to feel like you have one team, one culture, one company culture, even within different country cultures and trying to solve for that. And I just got really frustrated with the lack of tools to be able to do it. And I understood why my employees were frustrated because all I did was ever tell them, no, I want this thing. No. I want this other thing. No, because you're going to be the only one who wants it. And then, you know, why am I putting something in place that makes one person happy when I need to make a thousand people happy? And so trying to figure out how to navigate that, that personalization piece is really what drove this for me and wanting to build a tool because I waited about three years. I was like, this problem is driving me bananas. Somebody build the tool and I pitched it to different engineers. I was like, please just go build this for me. I just need this thing to exist. And nobody built it because you have to understand finance and HR to build this. And so finally decided I turned 40. I said, to heck with it. What am I waiting for? And I decided to go and build it. Hmm. Would you ever go back from being CEO in your own company to being a CFO working for somebody else? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I I like the finance role. I I mean, that's, that's part of what I still absolutely think like a CFO. But I love being in my own company. I don't know if I'll have another company, quite frankly. I'm hoping this does well enough. I don't have another company after this that we just do fabulously well, just grow it and, you know, do this forever until an exit. And then, you know, I go and I go hiking, you know, do something. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that. Love that. Yeah. Or don't have the exit and pay somebody else to do it for you while you go hiking. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Always. Well, we're venture backed. So I don't know how much our investors want to uh, not have an exit at some point. You either have to IPO or exit if you're venture backed. Um, yeah, so it'll you do. probably be one true. of those. <laughs> yeah. 
but there's no timeline, which is the beauty of it. It's figuring out, like, build the right thing for the market, make sure you're having an impact on people's lives. That's what we focus on is, is really having that positive impact. Amy, that is brilliant. Thoroughly enjoyed finding out all about this today. Thank you for being this week's guest on The Grow CFO Show. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.